Morning, everyone. Morning. We could get some more energy in the room. Morning, everyone. Morning. Thank you. My name is Mikhail Simmons. I am the executive director for the Center for Community Media. What does that mean? Thank you. One more time. Thank you. Um, at the Center for Community Media, we do research and we create tools for community media outlets for the ecosystem. What do we mean by community media? We mean small, independent, non-corporate, local news organizations. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us. I'm Amy Reinhardt. I work at the Associated Press on AI solutions for AP and also local newsrooms. AP is a not-for-profit cooperative, so every dollar we make goes back into the organization. I like to say that because even I didn't know that, and I've worked in journalism a very long time. But long before I worked at AP, I was a digital originator at the New York Times, and then I crossed paths for several years with Erica <coughs> Pelletro at the ACLU, so I am one of you. Um, and I want to note, too, that I am a student of AI. And what I mean by that is I'm probably one chapter ahead of all of you. So just to say, I'm here to learn. Mikhail is here to learn uh, from you and to uh, go through this together. Thank you. And I mentioned that I work with small community outlets. These outlets are some of the most vulnerable to change with AI. Again, they have some of the smallest budgets. They have some of the smallest staffs, but they also have the opportunity to leapfrog. And like Amy, I'm also a student of AI. I was following it for years, but when ChatGPT came out and I started this role, I said, okay, we need to dive in deep. And how I got into AI, or at least really playing around with ChatGPT was, earlier this year, a friend of mine said, hey, Mikhail, I want you to officiate a wedding, my wedding. And I was like, shit. <laughs> he was born in Bangladesh, grew up in Queens, his now wife, his family's from Ecuador, grew up in the Bronx, and BX all day. <laughs> and go Yankees. <laughs> um, so he said, hey, can you officiate my wedding? This is now a multicultural, multinational, multilinguistic wedding at the tail end of a pandemic. And I've never done this before. So, being a journalist, I said, let me talk to the would-be bride and the would-be groom, see what they want, do some research about the cultures, lean on my international affairs background. I did all of the YouTubing, all of the searching, because I want to make sure and get this right. And I have all of this information, and then I say, you know who might be helpful? No one. But you know what? What might be helpful? <laughs> ChatGBT. So I threw it all in, and it spit out a strip, a transcript, and I said, this transcript is trash. <laughs> it, 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 it was repetitive, it was, did not have soul, it did not have life, it did not have cultural competence, even though I put in a lot of information. It even made up a quote from a Bangladeshi poet. <laughs> I was heartbroken, because the quote was beautiful. It had love, it had family. I googled the guy's name, I'm like, yes, he was about uh, independent movement. I tried to find the quote in English, and Bengali didn't exist. But that was a learning point for me. I learned about the strengths and weaknesses of ChatGPT and large, learning, uh, large language models. I learned about where they excel and where they fell short. And one of the things we want to touch on today is about why you should really get involved in using this, but have a very nuanced thought around it. Yeah. 
So I've been working in journalism since the early 90s, and I went through the first digital uh, disruption with the internet at the New York Times, and it always shocked me that I got into this because I like to communicate, and this was a box that could communicate so effectively, so quickly, so cheaply. And it was, it was amazing to me, the pushback uh, to that. And I see ChatGPT very similarly, is that it's this amazing mechanism that if we know how to use it, we can use it to our benefit and not to the detriment. So this moment feels very similar to what I lived through in the late 90s. And as we were talking about it, it felt like the seven stages of grief. And right now, news outlets are somewhere between anger and bargaining. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if, if that's your organization as well, but let's do a quick show of hands for how many people have experimented with ChatGPT or MidJourney. Yes. Great. Uh, all right. How many people are scared shitless? <laughs> all right. Half the people in the room. So here we're going to touch on the fears and the opportunities and how we can move forward in thinking about this work. Great, so uh, AP started working uh, in 2014 with natural language um, generation and earnings reports. So um, AI to me, when I first arrived two years ago to AP was like spreadsheets and if the price goes up, then you use the word up automatically. And I was like, this is artificial intelligence. It just seems like a spreadsheet uh, that's been programmed. And so um, they kept talking about, oh, the promise of AI is going to be huge. And I thought, well, I haven't seen anything very impressive. Uh, but um, you know, I sat down with ChatGPT when it was released uh, in late November. And for the first time, uh, when I got the prompt back, I was like, this is going to change everything. It's going to change every place where words and images touch down in every department. In, in, um, in, a, in particular, it's going to hit our industries, the communications industries, the news industries, um, uh, acutely. <laughs> and so we're here to uh, send up some warnings, but also uh, explain how to work with it. So. Um, uh, its capacity for quick generation of language took my breath away. Um, and to me, this is the promise uh, that AI has been realized through ChatGPT. Community media has a full range of reactions to this technology, especially um, LLMs. The idea is either we don't want to touch this, or we want to, but we just don't have the time and space and capacity, where do we even start, to we need to use this right now and we're experimenting with this. I want to be clear, most journalists don't use this for editorial work. All of the grunt work, all of the reporting, phone calls, fact-checking is done by humans. But a lot of people realize, hey, if I need to create multiple emails, or after I do my research and I produce my story, I need to make social media posts, or hey, I need some options for headlines. We work with a lot of journalists who have English as their second, third, fourth, or fifth language. It helps them clarify their language for multiple different types of audiences. This is really a tool that has been used in many ways to augment the work that's happening and not replace the work that's happening. But I want to take a second and take a step back and talk about what AI is not. AI is not magic. <laughs> Let me say this one more time. It is not magic. It is designed by humans for good or for bad, flaws and all. The early taggings, which helped with the language models, was done by humans. It was grunt work. Human labor helped it become better. AI is not intelligent. It is a parrot. It basically produces 
the next word that seems reasonable. Always remember, it is language generation, not knowledge generation. So at its core, AI is a subfield of computer science. Kind of boring, right? Uh, why not call it that? Well, how many of us ordered soybeans at a restaurant? We order edamame, right? You call it something fancier, it gives a gravitas to it. I want everybody to think of um, artificial intelligence as a subfield of computer science, and maybe now laugh when you see an article that says calls it artificial intelligence, because as Mikhail said, it is not intelligent. Um, and there are many definitions to AI, um, and what I say now will contradict what you read tomorrow in the paper. But there are several, um, uh, within AI, there's an umbrella of AI of machine learning, uh, image recognition. Today, we're mostly talking about large language models, um, also known as LLMs. So uh, LLMs are built on a neural network. Huh, that sounds human, Amy, doesn't it? Yes, it does. They're trying to, uh, they try to replicate how the human brain works, that one topples, one input topples the next input and forms the next per, uh, input, like dominoes, or a neural network in our brains. And it's been trained on information from the internet. So if you've been on the internet, there's really great stuff on the internet, and then there's really bad stuff on the internet. So all of it has gotten ingested. Um, LLMs are trained on the data and offer a response based on probability. That is a key thing to understand, because no two answers um, are ever alike to the same prompt. And for journalists, that's a very big problem. Um, it should always be the same answer, but it's not. You're always going to get something different. Um, and this is where we get the phrase generative AI, because it's generating new content, whether that's text, image, video, or audio. So I mentioned AP using natural language generation for earnings reports. Um, I call NLG uh, baby AI. Uh, how I visualize NLG is a train on a track. And you're going to get to the same place each time. So generative AI is more like a hoverboard. I'm talking about the Marty McFly, back to the future type of thing. Uh, you're never uh, going to be sure where the information came from or what the output will be. Another concern about LLMs is hallucinations. It makes up things. As I said, I found that beautiful quote from that Bangladeshi author, and it was all made up. And that's important, because when you generate a response, it is authoritative, it is confident, but it's BS. <laughs> As I said before, it is language generation, not knowledge generation. You should not use it to make any high-stake decisions. Don't go to ChatGPT or BARD for medical advice. <laughs> Bad idea. Don't go for legal advice. No. Also, bad idea. Don't go for marriage advice. <laughs> I mean, look, if you go for it, that's between you and yours. I'm not going to get in between that, but that's my recommendation. Stay away from it. But the real fear here with the, with the hallucination is that the users don't understand that these are hallucinations. We take it as fact and we act accordingly. And when we act in the real world, a further question comes up. Who is to blame, the users or the companies that produce the tool? So keep that in mind with the work that's done. We as journalists, we care where information comes from. As Amy said, it's a black box. We don't know what all the inputs are. We definitely don't know what's inside, and we can't explain what is generated at the end of it. We cannot use it for reporting. And in many ways, it, is not it does not cover 
the full experience of life, especially underserved communities or places outside of the West. Yeah. So uh, we are not tech utopians. Uh, I think I'm a tech pragmatist. If it's if it's built, it's here. We might as well use it. Um, so I, before we get into like how great things are, could be at your in your organization and what you could use it for, we do want to identify uh, a few things that are very problematic uh, with AI, so that no one walks out of the room thinking, oh, it's just it's only amazing, and that there aren't problems. So one of the biggest issues um, around uh, the uh, large language models is it's informed by things that it has just taken from the internet, from your organization, from my organization. It never asked for permission, it just took it. And it used it to train and inform the outputs um, that, it's, uh, that, that the uh, large language model uh, delivers. They will monetize that at some point. They will build tools around that, and no one's getting paid for that. That is a big problem. The Associated Press is the first newsroom to get a licensing deal from OpenAI. It is not free to produce news, it is not safe to produce news sometimes. We have reporters in Ukraine. It costs something, and we deserve to have compensation for that. And I hope uh, many other newsrooms follow suit. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, some of these companies are already getting sued. Um, the problem is it's going to take three to five years, and these are going to be copyright issues. And in the past, uh, there are about six cases that our legal department identified uh, where uh, five out of the six all sided with Google. The judge sided with Google because what was created was distinctly different. And please don't laugh, but it also helped the world. So, uh, that is the legal precedent of that, and that is um, uh, part of the problem uh, with these natural, um, with uh, uh, lar large language models and the IP issues. Uh, it's climate week. <laughs> these models are climate intensive. Currently, the cloud has a larger footprint than the airline industry. When you train these servers to cool all of these server farms, you need water. And when you start taking water and different resources, it almost always affects the people who are most vulnerable or who have the least agency. So that means we need to ask ourselves if we want to build bigger and better and more accurate models because it's useful for our everyday lives. What does that actually cost in the real world? How do we even define progress in that sense? Progress for who? Progress of what? Progress at what pace? So this has an environmental, real-world consequence, even though it is mostly used behind the computer every day. So there's bias, too, in the training data. And uh, part of that is the quote-unquote normative um, or underrepresentation um, of the information that is taken in. So if you ask it to write a love story, it's going to write a heteronormative love story. That is, as we know, not the sum of all human experience. Uh, you could probably work that out in, in uh, prompt engineering. You could go back and say, actually, I want it between two men or two women. Um, but uh, that is part of the, the bias. But, you know, I don't think... It's not that big tech is necessarily biased themselves. It's just the websites are so skewed. So for example, um, uh, Reddit is written 67% by men. And Wikipedia is uh, written fewer than 15% written by girls and women. So again, only a, a very small part of the population, or half the population, is being represented in that data alone. So imagine other places uh, where it's just one person, one voice, um, and made to seem like it is representing everyone. And disinformation actors 
understand and will capitalize on these uh, deficits. So how are things going to change? We want to talk about four things that you need to know. So uh, <laughs> one of the things that I think is really interesting and why we're here, uh, user interface is the key to tech. So that is the first thing you need to know. So ChatGPT, it's why you're here. It's why I'm here. Uh, AI is much more than ChatGPT, but it actually has become synonymous. It was the first out of the gate. It has become the Kleenex of AI. Um, but why ChatGPT? Um, it put address on the technology. Um, overnight, everyone could run uh, artificial intelligence. Everyone could use that magic eight ball and come up with um, an answer to it. I think it's similar to Microsoft when they launched, uh, when they launched uh, Windows in 1996. Suddenly, you didn't have to be a computer programmer to run a computer. You could use a mouse, it had this interface. So tech and experiences will be won through uh, user interface. How people find you, your organization, your website, is going to fundamentally change in the next six to 12 months. How many people here have heard of generative search? Okay, even fewer people. Basically, that's plugging AI into your search engine. You ask a question, the AI, um, Google, for example, will respond with an AI-generated response pulled from online, and below that, then you'll start seeing websites and links and advertising. That is going to affect visibility, it's going to affect discoverability, it's going to affect ad placement, it's going to affect revenue. If you thought search, just the mere existence of Google search, changed the industry from what it was to what it is now, this will happen again, and we have to be ready and prepared. SEO is going to change from trying to hit a dartboard to try and hit a bullseye in this case. But I would suggest taking some advice from the smallest newsrooms I work with. Know your audience. Own your audience. Be with your audience. Community, in many ways, is a verb. Be in community with them. Because when this disruption happens, they will come back to you for information, for bonding, and for connection. So the third thing is your organization will have an LLM in the next two years. So in January, only six big companies uh, had enough computing power and enough money to build a large language model. By March, that notion was shattered by the open source community who like to share their technology. Someone leaked uh, Meta's large language model, and the open source community feasted on that. Uh, they've shrunk the training time and the computing power to a level that led a Google employee to write yet another leaked memo uh, that big tech has no moat. I liked reading that. Um, the uh, open source, they said, is eager and more agile. 
uh, to, um, in the next year or two, uh, uh, your organization will likely have fine-tuned its own LLM. Now, fine-tuning is building on top of an existing LLM with your material, and it's cheaper and faster. So, uh, Bloomberg is the first organization to write its own G GPT. We estimate, based on the computing power, it took about at least $20 million just for the computing power alone to build an LLM. Uh, and we, there's, there are several case studies of a professor who built his fine-tuned his own LLM for $300 in the course of two weeks. So, uh, that is how much the space has changed in the span of four months, from January to the end of March, and this <coughs> is why I don't sleep much. <laughs> so, if you're wondering where to start, we've given some doom and gloom, we've also given some, hopefully, some four places, but here are some suggestions on how to start with your newsroom. Sure. So, who are team leaders here? Just show of hands. Do you lead a team? Do you lead an organization? Do you lead a group? Right. Do you lead your friends to brunch? Just show of hands here. <laughs> All right. If you are a team leader, <clears throat> remember this, or at least in the calm space. Try or die. Try using AI in some form. I'm not saying you have to take it up in everything you do, but you should inform yourself about what it is. Give your team space and time and parameters to experiment with this technology. Don't just hand it off to the intern and say, come back. <laughs> no. Really get everyone involved, because this is a fundamental change in how we work. Seek external guidance and give internal guidance as well. Remember, learning takes time. I'll also suggest reading, thinking, and tinkering. Reading about AI, thinking about what it means for the industry and for yourself, and tinkering with the technology. If you're like, I don't know, this AI thing sounds a little daunting, it's, a, it's over there, I'll give you two places to start real quick. One is, on a personal level, low stakes. Rewrite a low stakes email. Rewrite a blog post you created already. Say, change this into a tweet or into LinkedIn posts, and see what it generates. You don't have to post it, but this is just you engaging with how it generates and how it creates work. You may experiment with different types of AI products, BARD, Cloud, ChatGPT, and you can see how they uh, spit out their, uh, their final product differently. And you can say, well, you know what? I prefer bullet points versus uh, paragraphs. Or you may say, you know what? I just feel more comfortable in this space versus another space. The second thing I want to implore you to do is read up on critiques, not just on the technology, but also about the industry itself. All of these technologies are built by corporations with incentives and built by people who have specific goals. Reading up about the critiques will really inform you about the full picture about where this may go and how you may accept or push back on this technology. So before we wrap up, I know we'll take questions at the end of, um, of our chat, so you might want to line up um, if you have questions. Um, but I want to make sure that you know this technology is more accessible than it's ever been. 
It's driven by written language, which you all should be really great at, and it's on sale. The tech companies compete to be top dog on this, and they have reduced their prices. So it is now time to experiment. And I think, as Mikhail, Mikhail said, don't give this to the intern. It is your responsibility to understand so that you can lead your organization uh, to a place that really is driving it rather than the AI driving you. And for the adventurers in the room, take a peek at OpenAI's examples page for, um, for advanced automations. I like to think of this as if you can bake a cake, you can begin to create amazing efficiencies in your organization that don't have touch anywhere with the editorial output uh, that's going, um, going out to your communities. So going back to the seven stages of grief, if you've experimented um, and you can articulate how AI can help and how it can't, then you'll have more agency when your organization gets to the acceptance stage. <laughs> I started off <clears throat> this session talking about the wedding. <clears throat> mm. Trying and playing around with it at that one point was super helpful and super useful. That was, in many ways, my safe space, right? It's just here, I did a research, let me see what it does, let me edit, go back and forth. You should do the same. But I will also add that it is important to have underrepresented groups try this work as well in finding blind spots, but also driving this technology. Too often technology is created and then it affects the most underrepresented people and they're never in the room and when they show up into the room, it's one person and they don't have backup. We have to have everyone involved and understanding what the nature of this is if we want to accept it or push it back, speed it up or slow it down. Everyone needs to be involved in order to make this better. All of our jobs are going to change. That is inevitable. That is life, quite frankly. But at this time, your superpower, our superpower, the photographer's superpower who's on the <laughs> side here. <laughs> our superpower is our humanity. Our expertise, our experiences, our connections to our community. That can't be replicated. So lean on your superpower because it is an invaluable resource. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll take questions now. Is there someone? Yep. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Hey, yes. <laughs> oh, is it? oh, there we go. Thank you so much for this presentation. I'm Shakira Hill-Taylor, Chief Digital Officer at Fenton. I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about the human rights implication of powering the AI technology. And which aspect, I mean, of, of human rights? Like, who is, the, who is it taking list. advantage of and the wealth disparities it's yeah, going to create? Yeah, exactly, yep. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't touch on the wealth disparities, but we're, it's, it's a huge concern. Um, the Brookings Institute came out with a, a report saying that 15 U.S. cities will um, be able to benefit. They'll have two-thirds of the AI jobs in the United States, and that is it. So what does that mean? It means the rest of the world isn't benefiting from it, but the rest of the world be, will be impacted by it. The wealth disparities we have now are going to be exacerbated. And of course, it will be big tech who is at 
is out on top and anybody else uh, working in that. So it's, uh, like I said, AI is not great um, and it is gonna, it, it already has taken advantage of populations, as Mikhail said, <coughs> with, the, um, with the training aspect of it, which continues. They're using countries, uh, uh, countries in Africa, they have employed people with low wages um, and uh, they're seeing a lot of, um, well, damaging stuff because they have to constantly say, that's a dog. No, that's not a dog. This is a cat. Um, it's, it's boring and some of it is toxic and those um, people are not being protected. So, yeah. So, AI is great, right? Yeah. 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 Behind a lot of this technology, it was fundamentally human labor that did that work. Yeah. And I think we tend to forget that when we see the final product. Yeah. And the other notes to your points is it does well on different languages except. Um, non-major ones, for example. So you will get French, Spanish, you'll get decent Creole, but if you were like thinking about Saho in um, Northern Ethiopia, that's more, that's harder to find. Um, there's a researcher and ethicist, Temnit Geblu, who talks about this. So just research her name, and she goes into more detail. And then on top of that, when you do add those languages into the mix, who is adding those languages? What framework it is? Do the people who live that language, what agency do they have? I am from Trinidad, I put in a translation into Trinidadian English and it was off. <laughs> and it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but my point is who is making those decisions and how much agency do Trinidadians have in that case? Second question. The, yeah. I'm watching the screen point at some other area. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> hi. Uh, my name is Stacy Greenbaum. I'm from uh, the Simons Foundation in New York. So I understand very well what you're saying about get into it, start experimenting with, with the programs and things. But you said a few times, you will have your own uh, language model, LLM. Yes. Uh, and... Uh, I, what does that mean that my company will have its own LLM? Right, so um, if your company has a particular voice, like you on a, for a press release, for example, if you feed it uh, that information, it will be able to render things in your voice. Now, would you go, would you send something out a press release immediately? No, you would have a human in the loop to check it over. But it could be, you know, maybe you don't have the um, junior staff member that you used to have. Uh, so you're able to um, ask uh, to prompt your own uh, chatbot uh, trained on some of your information uh, to spit out something that could be really useful. So it could expedite your output. Yeah. You're saying we could, we all have our own chat, but I thought you meant yep. we had to like sit down and code some new. Okay, the, those those yeah, <laughs> those days are over. Those the days of coding are over. It's going to be prompted by verbal. And actually, we were talking yesterday. Dolly three, which is the image creator by OpenAI, dropped yesterday, and it doesn't even require extensive prompts to get it to what it is going to do. I think it's we're also moving toward verbal commands to make these things happen. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, and can I build off of yeah, that? Please. But at the same time, even though Dali 3 uh, makes it easier to generate something, I don't have an art history major, right? So if I'm saying I want to have a specific style from a specific time of a specific image, because I don't have that history and context, I may not even begin to understand how to prompt the thing I want to get out of my head. So this is a great time to be like in liberal arts and humanities, at yeah. least because you have context here that others don't. Thanks. Come over here. 
Hi. Hi. Um, I'm Tamara Jones from Three Spot. Um, before I ask my question, I did just want to point out I've never been at a conference where a person from the Caribbean with a Caribbean accent has been on the keynote stage. <laughs> and I'm really happy about that. <laughs> pa, 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 pa. <laughs> um, okay, anywho. Um, so you talked about um, generative search and how that's going to change um, discovery, discoverability, and all of that. Um, I wanted to just further understand as a marketing major yeah. um, how I might be able to start thinking about reinventing our discoverability strategy um, to help prepare us for this future. Quick yes. answer, I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I say this um, in, in true honesty because a few things are happening, right? This is new. We also know if anyone has like, been on Google for the last 10, 15 years, they change the design often as well too. So my, uh, my expertise is in journalism and I'm really thinking about how that intersects with the reporting and editing and production and even the marketing part. How do you reach and connect with communities? But as it pertains to strategy or how to begin building a structure, I would say read and see what's happening now and be very informed. Um, but as I don't know what a better output is just yet, and I don't know how long that better output will last before another design yeah. comes. I have a few suggestions, though. Yes. I do. Uh, and it's the um, advisement that a lot of newsrooms are, are taking is to stop building somebody else's app. Stop yeah. building out yeah. Twitter, stop building out Facebook, stop building out and, and, and obeying whatever Google wants this month for SEO. Build your own audience. So part of that is through newsletters and engagement that way, podcasts. If you have an app, uh, your newsroom or your news operation or your, or, or your organization might even think about an app. But get out there and build your own uh, presence because uh, social media, I mean, uh, for the newsrooms I've been talking with, they, they have seen a total drop off a cliff of Facebook referrals. Like Facebook is yeah. just not referring to their website anymore. And, and that is what we are expecting with search in the next six to 12 months. So you're gonna have to build your audience. And as Mikhail said, you gotta know your audience and having that community back and forth. So I like yeah. community as a verb. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you. Hello, my name is Caitlin. Um, I feel like I get a little bit nervous when I'm about to be contrary, so bear with me. Um, but I really <coughs> appreciated uh, the first question about um, human rights. Um, and I think in your answer, there was kind of like um, an acknowledgement, but I think my question is kind of like uh, digging one step further to, to see what you think in your experience um, about what's needed. Um, just to pull um, an article from the Washington Post, like there's a company, um, Scale AI, I think you're probably familiar with. Um, they've basically created like a digital sweatshop in the Philippines where workers are paid like six to $10 a day, if at all. Um, so I'm just kind of curious about like, yeah, that one layer beyond just the acknowledgement, like what do you think is needed from what you've seen? Uh, thank you. Rock, paper, scissors? Uh, 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 uh. Okay, you go first. Regulation. We need regulation. And it can't come from suggestions from the big tech firms. It has to come 
through um, our elected officials have to become more conversant in this and they have to seek experts outside of big technology. Um, you know, uh, Mikhail uh, suggested a couple of places to go to read up on uh, people who are pushing back against this. But these, the women who were pushing back against big tech three to four years ago are women of color. They got shouted down, they lost their jobs. And then the godfather of AI, a white guy, leaves Google and suddenly, oh, maybe there's a problem here. So it's like who gets listened to, who sounds the alarm, um, and who pays attention to it. So I, I think the, the regulation part is key. Um, and if, if history is any guide, AI, um, the US has no appetite for that. Yeah. And uh, to build off of your layer down, the layer below that is, that is built off of structures that exist right now, <laughs> right? So it is not new, <clears throat> it's not a new question. And government's job is to think about that, or governing bodies, however you define it. Its job is to do that. So when we look into AI and we look into the human rights point, look into all aspects of production as well, because the same thing is going to continue happening, whether it's abroad in the Philippines or in the United States. Because as Amy pointed out, there are disparities here as well within this own, your own city or, or state or country. And, and the EU will probably do something before the US ever does. And I say to my friends who are working on that there, it's like, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. You know, yeah. we, we really need um, other people in other countries to push back. But the regulation should start in the US, and it's just not happening. So. Agreed. Thank you for the question. Hello, um, I'm Eric Asher, um, and I've seen new revisions like CNET, for example, get blowback for not disclosing that AI generated certain articles on their websites. Um, so what do you think about the role of disclosure and transparency when using AI? Yep, I'm AP. <laughs> I'm gonna rock this one because yeah, uh, um, AP um, since 2014 we've done we've produced with natural language generation um, uh, earnings reports and also minor league baseball um, uh, reports and we always put at the bottom this was created using Automated Insights was the company that we used at the begin beginning uh, with uh, natural language generation LA Times does that with uh, Earthquake Bot um, and uh, the Washington Post does it with Heliograph with their sports reporting um, I think. Transparency is great. Now, we've gotten into really granular territory where people said, ChatGPT helped write this headline. Do I have to give it credit? It's like, have you ever given credit to the headline writer? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I think we really need to step back. Now, um, Neiman Lab, uh, which is the uh, journalism industry um, uh, uh, magazine or online uh, publication, they've started using Midjourney to create their hero image on their website. What's really interesting is they say, this is Midjourney and here's the prompt we use. That's in the cut line. I like that type of transparency. And I think that's an interesting uh, use case. So I think you need to disclose uh, what it, the bulk of this, how this um, article or content was written. Um, and then you get down to the granular stuff, headlines, stuff like that, maybe not. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Okay. Do you have more? No, okay. I said it. Hi, my name is Julie Scalfo, and I'm a longtime journalist, and I'm a media ecologist, and I'm a parent. Wow. And I am so concerned about the state of our media environment that I created a coalition last year called Get Media Savvy, 
and it's people who are working to raise awareness of the importance of having a healthy media environment. We want the public to understand why we need an environment that is regulated, why we need basic media literacy education so that people can differentiate between different types of content. And we want to push back against this idea that the best solution to every problem is always more tech. Tech can be helpful, tech can be fun, but as you made so clear today, every time you introduce technology, it's going to give you something, but it's also going to take some things away. So our big initiative that we're introducing next Do you have year, a, uh, what's your question? I do, sorry. Okay, well, I was great. getting, I mean, it's basically <coughs> what I do is the question, which is we want, we want to question this idea, given what you said that this is so harmful, given that it's exploiting workers, given that it's going to have an even worse impact on marginalized communities, given that it makes it impossible to protect intellectual property and undermines our systems of ownership, why are we embracing it and why should we encourage everybody to start using AI? Why not say wait until it's regulated? Great question. <laughs> you, go, you start. Okay. I'll yeah, jump. so this goes back to the, one of the previous questions about taking a step back. What we want to leave you all with is the idea that inform yourself about what it actually is, and then you make your own decision at this point. I encourage us all to get involved because, to your point, this is going to change society. Cars change society, and it had all of these same implications. Uh, and some of us still buy cars. The clothes we wear, the same thing over and over. Informing yourself allows you to go to the powers and be and take a stance like you and say, stop this. And when they say why, you can articulate every level, this is a problem. And if you're someone who says, well, I want to move forward, you can now also articulate every level why you think this is important. What I would push back on a little bit, though, is I don't think it is inevitable. I don't think all of the things mentioned is inevitable. But in order to find a solution, we have to be able to articulate the problem well. So right now, we're at a point where it's going quicker and quicker. We have to get involved to slow it down or make it more equitable or to change its structure. But we can't even begin to understand how to drive that car or drive that car, period, if we don't understand what the car does. So that is my answer to your question. It is not, we're not even trying to be prescriptive. We're really just trying to say, get involved in this, because it is going to affect everything in some form. Right, and we didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this. It's here. We, you know, it, it's been foisted on us. And right now, ChatGPT is a discrete um, environment. It's going to be part of your know, Google suite. So if you use any of the Google Docs and Drives, it's going to uh, be embedded in there. It will be embedded in Microsoft Suite. So it's these tools. Um, my niece uh, called and was like, what's this in Snapchat? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's generative AI. Have fun. Um, you know, <laughs> so it's, it is there. And if you're talking about media literacy, you need to prepare the people who are on Snapchat. Like, this is what you're going to get, and it's not always going to be correct. And my niece won't believe that. Like, what do you mean it's not correct? Um, and you're going to have to fact check. So I think this is a huge opportunity for you to learn about how this stuff works so that you can prepare your communities um, for contending with it. Yeah. Thank you. We have time, I think, maybe for two more. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Go ahead. Good morning. I'm Good morning. Melinda from KFF. 
and we're a health policy research organization, and I'm sure there's several other representatives from research organizations here. Um, and my concern is about um, AI, for me, it's kind of like a nightmare because it's like Wikipedia with no references or citations. And for nonprofit research organizations, our brand is built on us being referenced when people use our research. Um, but I'm hopeful hearing from you about how AP was able to negotiate a licensing deal, which means that the results are able, you're able to isolate the source of the results. No? Nope. No. Nope. Rats. We're just gonna take our content. Really? Okay, because my question is going to be, what, what are the chances that we could mm -hmm. kind of create some deal where we don't need money, we're a nonprofit, we just need to be cited as the, you know, so producer of this research. citation is possible with um, some of the paid-for services through OpenAI. So we've seen citation, but then it's like, then we're reduced to a print or a foot, you know, a footnote, and like that's like the worst place for a newsroom to feel like they are. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if that helps. Okay, thank you. Sorry, mm. I wish I had better news. But Amy, you did yep. also point out, if you're building your own model and you are the expert, you can say, come to us about for this expertise that we have done, we have deeply researched, and we know what we're talking about in this case. Yep. So this goes back to the idea of like, the it's not necessarily inevitable, but we really have to think deeply about who our audiences are, what do they care about, and what is our value add. Yep. Last question. Hi, um, thank you so much for this uh, presentation and the opportunity to ask questions. My name is Kelly Devine and I'm um, from Carnegie Corporation of New York. And I started as a journalist um, and before there was even the internet. So some of these, some of the issues we're talking about kind of go back to the fundamental um, skills of a journalist, including questioning if someone, a source or a person you're talking to is making up a quote or, you know, and we're finding now that some quotes might, you know, in books, you know, we can't find a source for them. So it's, it's a new world, but it's not such a new world. And I'm wondering, I mean, that there's a huge opportunity here for journalists and fact checkers and academics to set a standard and also to collaborate. The problem is we have a lot of commercial um, incentives. So how do we, do you have thoughts on how we can organize? Because this idea that it's put back on the individual or on small organizations isn't going to work over the long, time, long term. So I'm wondering if you're hearing things in the field or if you have some recommendations as to how we can harness the power of these, of our skills to, to influence what happens. That's a great question. You want to, I, so a few things come to mind. Um, your question reminds me of this quote, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. <laughs> um, so it's definitely like, oh, we've seen this before a couple of times uh, in different industries. Uh, I think we should set a standard, quite frankly. Um, and I think we should revise that standard often. Because journalism, it's, an, it's a profession and industry I love, and it's also it has been problematic as well. So even in setting that standard, we need, to not, we need to also edit ourselves when we know better and be better. How do we organize ourselves to do that? Half of you all in the room right now, your work in comms, comms for good in many ways. So get together with other comms organizations, say this is a problem, or this is a, seen, a foreseen problem, let us have a united front about how we should 
move forward in this space because our job is about communicating and a lot of the generative work is also about communicating. This is our wheelhouse and that's why we're saying, hey, let's organize and put our hands on the wheel because it will be defined for us if we don't. Yeah, and you know, for large language models, I would love a journalism industry-specific large language model um, that is licensed with quality content that represents more, more people and situations. So I think there's a lot of things that we can do together with the technology, either building from the ground up a large language model or just understanding how to use best practices um, and advisement. But like maybe it would be um, for ComNet to uh, start a prompt library for everybody to share and to share the best prompt that they're getting to get the best outputs. So anyway, thank you all for your time today. It was really great to start ComNet with you.